All right, we are recording now. Last Wednesday, something happened when I hit the button, and I must have turned it off, and it didn't record. So it's recording now. All right. So we are putting these Amos studies up on our website, um, and it's actually going also through the podcast feed. Did y'all know we have a podcast loop as well, right? Yeah. Uh, you can you can do you can find it a lot of different ways. If you go to our website under you know sovereigngracebaptist.org/sermons. You can actually, there's a, you can click and subscribe to that RSS feed, and you can put that into whatever podcast app you use, and it will link. That's one way to do it. Or if you just go to your podcast source and type in Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, don't just do Sovereign Grace because you'll find a thousand of them. Sovereign Grace Baptist Church, you'll find us. We're, we're on iTunes, we're on Google Podcasts, we're on Spotify. I just put us up on TuneIn this week. I didn't realize that they were doing that for free. TuneIn, you used to have to pay to put your podcast feed up. So we're now on TuneIn for what it's worth, okay? Um, so it's out there, all right? And you know what might help is if you find those podcast feeds, it would help from time to time to give like five stars, you know how the algorithms work, right? So I'm giving the charge to the congregation. If you wish the word of God to go out to the nations, five stars on iTunes will help. What if it's only a three-star Sunday? A three? <laughs> well, then we have to talk about your affiliation with our doctrine, okay? Right? You know, five, five points of tulip versus three points of tulip versus... Is that what you were saying? No, that's... Okay, different connection, all right? Okay. Yeah, you can you can rate each. Yeah, you might be able to rate each episode uh, if it's only a three star episode. To go ahead and give it, be your honest, whatever. But anyway, it's just there. Okay. Uh, yes, sir. Yeah, I'm recording right now. Yes, sir. Um, all right. So tonight we'll be looking at Amos chapter three, um, and um, we we've come through. Uh, all of the judgment oracles, and actually, we're still in the last judgment oracle. Uh, the, the judgment of Israel goes from the end of chapter 2 all the way through chapter 6 of Amos. Uh, if you remember, the, the, first, the first six oracles uh, were very brief and short. And this last one for the northern tribe of Israel, the northern kingdom, is uh, about three chapters long. So, let's say three, four, five, so four chapters long. So... Uh, we'll be looking at those for a while, but tonight I want to look at Amos chapter 3, verses 1 through 11, and really we can actually kind of summarize everything in verses 12 through 15. It's not really it's a separate uh, judgment. It actually kind of expresses and what the judgment will look like, verses 12 through 15, but we're going to be looking primarily at verses 1 through 11, okay? Um, let's read this. Actually, would someone like to read Amos 3, verses 1 through 11? In that good, thus saith the Lord voice. Because this is that kind of a prophecy here. This is a warning. No, no pressure there. Matt? Yeah, can you do it, Jay or Matthew, either one? Give us that good, thus saith the Lord voice, okay? Okay. Yes, sir. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you. Oh, the people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. You only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? The 
is a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no room for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? For the Lord God does nothing without revealing his secret to his servants, the prophets. The lion has roared. Who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken. Who can but prophecy? Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod, to the strongholds in the land of Egypt, and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria, and see the great tumults within her, and the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. Those who store up violence and robbery in their, in their strongholds. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, An adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. There we go. Thus saith the Lord. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And, and even as we read this, it does carry a weight as, Lord, you intended for your word to carry here. As you're speaking through your servant Amos um, to the rebellious northern kingdom at that time, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to listen as if we were as guilty as they, because we are. And so, God, I pray tonight you would cause us to see the richness of Amos' prophecy, the depth of this uh, warning, um, and just the reality of the natural order that you have that there are causes to all of our choices. And so, Lord, I pray tonight you'd help cause us to see this in this warning. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, let's open this up and kind of get the theme here. Has anyone ever not suffered the consequences of an action or a choice? Do all actions, do all choices have some outcome? Yeah. Um, we call those, you can, you can, there, there's different ways to call it. Some, some scholars call these hypotheticals, if-thens. Some people call these cause and effect. Um, we teach our children this, right? Hopefully you're teaching your children cause and effect. Some children learn it sooner than others. Uh, some children never seem to learn it. And then when they get to be adults, they still suffer from not learning cause and effect. Right. Uh, if, if so, if you if you pick up your toys in your room, the effect will be. Mom and dad are happy. Could be a cookie. Could be what? What's that? You get to keep your toys. That could be the effect. If you pick up your toys, you keep your toys. If you don't pick up your toys, what is the effect? You may lose your toys. Right. You see. So. It, is that just a reality of the natural order of things? There's a cause and effect for everything in God's natural order. And honestly, that's really the argument. That's the structure of the argument here that God is giving the northern tribes of Israel in chapter 3. Because you are doing this, 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 or not doing this, 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 there is a natural effect to that. Thus, my judgment. Does that make sense? And so again, we, we started uh, looking at the book of Amos, and it's, this is another wonderful example of just a, a, just a solid rhetoric. Amos is just a persuasive, structured argument. 
a, you know, a persuasive, really, very persuasive. And, and when, when you're trying to make, a, make, a, make an argument, make a case for something, a lot of times this is a very effective method, cause and effect. Here is why this is happening. It's because of these things. Okay? So that's what I want us to break down here. Look here at verses 1 through 2. Um, in verses 1 through 2, God wants to make very clear who is speaking here. He's speaking. God is speaking. Not just a man is speaking. But who is God speaking to? He's speaking to His people, His family. That's what He says here. Look here in verse 3. Hear this word that the Lord has spoken against you, O people of Israel, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. Verse 2, you only have I known of all the families of the earth. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. I mean, he's, inter- he's setting the tone here, isn't he? Setting the stage. Here's the introduction to the guilt and the punishment that comes from it. I mean, think about this. God's people, why, why did the northern tribes of Israel turn the way they did? Remember, if we remember back um, when the northern tribes broke away from the southern tribes, um, that was in 1 Kings 12? Or was it 2 Kings 12? 1 Kings 12. Um, why did the northern tribes feel like they were justified in breaking away from Jerusalem and the southern kingdom? It's because they felt they didn't need Jerusalem anymore. They felt like they didn't need God's traditions anymore. They felt like they didn't need to do, the way, do things the way they had always done before. And they felt that they could do them better. I'm glad they weren't pulling up here. (laughs) Could come one day. Um, Anyway, yeah, the police could show up here any day now, folks, you know. But think about this. I mean, so that's what God is saying here in verses 1 and 2. What's what's the tone here? He's making sure they know. Well, of course, Amos is delivering this, right? Remember, imagine the scene. Perhaps Amos is speaking to Jeroboam the second. Directly, perhaps he's speaking to a group of elders in the court, whoever, or he's, this is kind of a continual prophecy here, but he's making sure in chapter 3, verse 1, hear this word that who has spoken? The Lord has spoken against you. Not me, I'm just a man. Remember, who is Amos? He was just a man from where? Tekoa. And what was his, what was his profession? His occupation? He was a shepherd and a fig farmer. He had orchards, right? Um, just a man. And he's making sure very clear that this is God speaking, not me. Um, And and notice here in verses 1 and 2 what God is saying here through Amos. He's speaking to you, O people of Israel. He's speaking against you, against the whole family that I brought up out of the land of Egypt. Why do you think God made that distinction there? I'm speaking out against the whole family. And then in verse 2, he speaks about, you only have I known amongst all the families or the nations of the earth. Why, do you, why is God making that distinction there? Because it's his people. His people. There's that family connection. Yeah, what else? Because it's 
Known. You of all the nations of the earth are the only ones that I have known. Right? That idea of knowing in Scripture implies an intimacy, um, a, a, a connection that is unlike any other connection. Right? It's kind of like, you know, husbands and wives, families, fathers and children. There's a knowledge of one another that's different than the knowledge of anyone else. Right? That's a very sound biblical principle in Scripture. Why do you think God is setting the introduction? Why is He setting the introduction this way? God is speaking not just a man. I'm speaking to my family because we have a unique relationship. Why do you think he's setting that tone there? Because the punishment's going to come from love. Oh, punishment's coming from a place not of vengeance necessarily, but love. God cares. And that's a continual theme throughout. All of Amos's prophecy, God does care, and He cares so much. I want to correct you and bring judgment upon you because I'm a, I'm a just and righteous God. That sounds like a, it's kind of almost a contradiction in terms. When you read Amos's prophecy, it sounds pretty harsh, doesn't it? Think about uh, kids are in the room or adults who, when you were younger and you faced punishment from your parents or someone in authority over you. Was it just that they punished you? But in the moment, did you think it was? Yes. <laughs> Depends on how they punished you. Depends on how they punished you. It's always out of love, right? Not always. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, as a father, I made my mistakes too. But it was, all, correction and calling out error is always out of love for you. Yeah. For their good. good. Right, kids, y'all hearing that? You may think that your mom and dad are just the cruelest, meanest people on the earth. Your mom's the... She's the sweetest, though, right? Your mom's the sweetest. There you go. It's your dad who's mean. No. (laughs) They're all great. But, But, you know, in the moment of punishment, sometimes that may just consume us. And the devil can actually take that and distort it and twist it. So in, in Amos, I think that's why in verses 1 and 2, God is saying it this way. You alone have I known. Then at the end of verse 2, because you are the only ones that I've, the only families of all the earth I've known, therefore I will punish you for all your iniquities. <laughs> you're the only family I've loved. Of all the families of the earth, all the nations of the earth, you're the only ones I've ever loved, therefore I'm going to punish you. Thank you. Yeah, go ahead, Chad. Well, and it's interesting that he says this right here because he's given the indictment against the other nations. He obviously knows about them. Yeah, correct. Yeah, chapters two, one and two, exactly. He went through the list of all the other nations who were also going to face horrific punishment and annihilation too. Yeah. He's, I think that's why the New American Standard, right or wrong, translates the verb known as chosen. Yes, chosen. See, God's people are righteous, not just because they were chosen, but because it was God who chose them. 
Does that make sense? Yeah. There you go. Deuteronomy 7, 7, 6. 7, 6. He's setting the tone here. Remember who you are. You are who I have chosen you to be. You are my people, my family. We, he's using that, chosen, right? In other words, there's an expectation. The standard is set, and you've not met it. Therefore, I will punish you for all your iniquities. I mean, that's sobering, isn't it? I mean, just, just, just set. I mean, just think about that upon us as His church. Not only are we chosen, we are redeemed through the blood of Christ. That is what has. That takes us to another level. It's not that we're just chosen people. But we're also forgiven people now in a way that Israel had, couldn't experience. They, I mean, they had the sacrificial system, but the, the atonement of Christ had not been full, come to completion yet. So I would say we probably, God would hold us to even a higher standard of accountability. As high as He holds Israel, but even higher now. We are held to a higher standard of accountability. That's sobering too, isn't it? Going to ponder that. Now, here's the issue. We got to remember, right? The northern kingdom of Israel, and even Judah was guilty of this, but God seems to be really focusing in on the northern kingdom of Israel more so here. He's judging them more harshly because they ignored their obligation to their status as his chosen people. They are unique amongst all the nations and families of the world. They have chosen to ignore their obligation to Him. Therefore, they are judged. So now, got the introduction. Now we jump into uh, verses 3 through 6, mostly. These are a sequence of illustrations of the natural order of things. They are if-thens, okay? So actually, verse 3 all the way through verse 10, really. Um, These are certain sequences in the natural order that lead to predictable outcomes. I mean, think about it. If you run a red light, what's the predictable outcome? A lot of different things. Could have a crash. Could get pulled over by the police. Your children could wave their finger at you and say, you ran a red light? Some of the kids are laughing because they've done that. Right? There are, that doesn't mean that there are absolute outcomes, but predictable. In other words, it's so predictable, if you do this, you should know what's coming. That's the illustrations here in, in this argument. Let's hear verse 3. Just think about this question. Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? Sounds kind of odd. If two people are walking together, why are they walking together? Seems to be an agreement, yeah. Seems to me this list of 
illustrate the absurdity because all the answers are the same. All the answers to all these illustrations is, of course not. Exactly. There's predictable outcomes. Well, in a way, of course not. Yeah, of course not. It's, it's a kind of a reversed uh, logic, right? It's a negative logic that leads to a positive uh, inference, right? Do two walk together unless they have agreed to meet? What's the inference there? What do you infer? Of course they agreed to meet and walk together. Why did two people walk together? They agree to walk together. Otherwise they wouldn't be walking together unless one of them is a stalker. They're not walking together. And then they're not walking together, right? It's, there, there's some absurdities, it, you know, it, it's, it's reductio ad absurdum, it's, that's the Latin for it, in a way, but it's also pointing out some logical cause and effect, right? Look here at verse 3. Um, just as two people, think about this is what God's saying, just, it's just as if two people cannot walk in step together without being in agreement. Have you ever tried to walk in the same stride together with two people? It takes a little effort. Now, both parties have to agree. Left, right, left, right, left, right, left. Have you ever tried to do one of those uh, uh, potato sack races or something where you tie your ankles, right? You've got to walk together. The two have to work together. If you're not walking together, what's happening? You stumble. And so what's, why is God saying this? There's, I mean, God's saying this here, right? It, do, you remember, do you remember the first few days in the service when you were learning to march? Oh, my goodness. It was, it was just chaos. Yeah, those of us who served in the military, we understand. I never thought it was such a clutch. Uncoordinated. I remember, uh, I'm a veteran too, we, we in, the, in the military, we understand this. When they first taught you how to uh, you know, stand at attention and then, right? Yeah. Took me forever to figure out how to do that. <laughs> And honestly, uh, the drill sergeant, he kind of, he, he called me up one day because he, he was looking for a new platoon or a new squad leader. And he said, uh, do an about face, Owens. I've messed it up. Had I been able to do an about face, I would have been a squad leader and a leader. But I messed it up. So he, he said, ah, oh, get out of my way, you know. So, all right, so coordination. Why is God saying this? If two people cannot walk in step together, if they're not in agreement, why... So the same thing God is saying, I too cannot walk with you. I cannot walk with disobedient people because we are not walking together. I mean, God's saying this to them. It's amazing here in Amos, as God is speaking, He's giving a lot of blame to the choices of the people. I would walk with you, but you don't want to walk with me. You hearing that in verse 3? Does that hit home? God is pleading. He's, he's, he's giving them judgment. I want to walk with you, but you have shown me you do not want to walk in harmony with me. So two people cannot walk together who do not want to walk together. That make sense? Look here in verse 4. Does a lion roar in the forest when he has no prey? Does a young lion cry out from his den if he has taken nothing? I mean, again, here's another cause and effect illustration. Why, would a, why does a lion roar? A lion's not going to roar if there's not a purpose, if there's not an effect that the, the lion is looking for. It, the lion roars when the lion either sees something that he's wanting to kill or has succeeded in killing it. 
Otherwise, why does the lion roar? So God, remember back in, in chapter, uh, let's say one, where was it? Uh, or I had lost my notes here. Uh, chapter 2, verses 4 through 6, um, dealing with, uh, oh, I'm sorry, that's not right. Where was that? I've lost my notes here. Uh, where God, where it was introduced, yeah, in verses 1 and 2 of chapter 1. Chapter two, the, I mean, chapter 1, verse 2, the Lord roars from Zion and utters His voice from Jerusalem. I mean, this whole prophecy is being described as a roaring lion. Right? The Lord is going to do something. He is going to roar like a lion, like this prophecy, because He has a purpose for the outcome of the roar. He wants to grab your attention. He has prey that he's going after. He's roaring after his prey. But you, Israel, you have no desire to go hunt. You have no desire to slay the enemies. A lion goes after the prey, right? So if a lion catches his prey, he's going to roar. That's the, that's the natural, predictable outcome. Uh, here's the next one. Uh, verse 5. Does a bird fall in a snare on the earth when there is no trap for it? Does a snare spring up from the ground when it has taken nothing? I mean, think about a, a, a trap or a, a snare. How do you catch birds? With a net, generally, right? And, and, how, and the, 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 the net or the trap is not going to snap unless there is something in it to cause it to trigger, Right? So nothing happens here unless there is an intent. A snare springs only if the birds are there to be trapped. Um, but think about this too. I think part of what verse 5 is, because God, God's clearly talking about evil people with His judgment here. So just, just as nets are laid out to catch birds, God is saying, my intents, my intentions... For all of my creation will trap the evil. They are there ready to snap whenever, it, whenever the birds land in it. Right? I mean, God, this is not, again, God setting himself up as the evil, I'm going to get you God, though. That's what we've got to be careful. But his righteousness, his holiness will ensnare and trap evil in his creation. Because he is God. Would you agree? God's not, so, God's not going to just let evil roam the world without check. And so his righteous and his holy precepts are there to ensnare and trap the fallen. Just like the birds who fall here. Lastly, let's look here further in verse 6 and then leading into 7. Is a trumpet blown in a city and the people are not afraid? Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? Why would they blow the trumpet in a city? A warning. We have the same thing now. We just don't have watchmen on the towers with trumpets. We have electronic devices all over Putnam County. Uh, you ever hear the sirens, uh, the testing for the tornado sirens? You know, we may be hearing some of those here in the next month or so. It's that season of the year, right? Why do we have the sirens? 
to warn us. So if you hear the tornado sirens, then it's predictable outcome, something dangerous is coming. And that's what God is saying. A trumpet sounds warning. If a trumpet is sounding, it's not just blowing just to be blowing. There's a reason for it. Right? That's what God is saying here. So if, if my voice roars like a lion, if, my, if, if I am sending my prophet Amos to you, there is a reason that he is saying these words to you. There's the reason my warning and my judgment is coming. It's not just because I just randomly rolled the dice and thought, okay, it's going to be Israel's turn next. There's a reason for it. Cause and effect. Right? Um, now, Let's look here at verse 7. Now, Daniel, are you willing to help us out here a little bit in verse 7? Daniel is a blessing in our church because if you do not know this, Amos chapter 3 verse 7 is a proof text for the church of Latter-day Saints. Did you all know that? Daniel, give us a little bit of background on Amos 3 verse 7. Uh, well, when I was a teenager, it was required uh, among our memorization verses, all the teenagers worldwide had memorized it on Amos 3.7, as well as another passage in Amos. Um, we used it as a text to, to show that the, um, the Bible is not sufficient and that, that there's a need for prophets or another prophetic age. Okay. Which justified Joseph Smith. Right. Right? Do y'all know that? I didn't know that until Daniel told me. That's how out of the loop I am on uh, doctrine from the Church of Latter-day Saints. But it's important for us to understand this because if people are taking this as a proof text for that, we've got to understand exactly what is God saying here in Amos. So let's read verse 7. For the Lord does nothing without revealing His secret to His servants, the prophets. Now, if you take that out of context, maybe it makes sense what the Mormons say. But if you take the idea of revealing His secret in context of this passage, of this warning, look at the illustrations that lead up before it, (laughs) right? Um, What is a lion doing before it roars? Do you know a lion is coming before it roars? Most of the time you don't. (laughs) They are very stealthy. Right? Likewise, if, if, if a bird gets trapped in a net, does the bird know the net is there? Probably not. Right? Any kind of animal that gets caught in a snare or a trap, it's hidden for a reason. And so God's, what He's saying here is, his will is often secret and unseen and unknown to the world. Yet it's there. Yet then at the same time, it's very, God is making it very plain what His will is. It's both and, isn't it? But there's still a lot of mystery to the will of God. Even with this, even with the Word of God, there's still a lot of mystery here to the gospel. There's a lot of mystery to the Trinity There's a lot of mystery to the idea of salvation, right? One of the qualifications um, for a deacon is that, or an elder, is that he must be able to understand and articulate the mysteries of the faith. Correct? So, with 
For the Lord God does nothing without revealing His secret to His servants, the prophets. Basically, I think what, Amos, what God is saying here is that the Lord never acts without speaking. He never acts without explaining the truth first about Himself and to His people. Why is he saying that to Israel? It's because he's, what he's, remember, he's laying out the argument here for why judgment is coming. There is nothing that I have not spoken to you. I have never acted without telling you first. Yeah. Is it a way of warning them before he actually does anything to them? I think it's a warning before he does anything to them. I think it's two-edged. I think it's a warning before the judgment comes. Here's what, nothing happens lest I speak it. But then also it's a reminder of what they have ignored. It's both and. Yeah. I, I, I think about how long God's people had gone astray and, and not um, lived up to God's will. Yeah. Um, and, and then you can understand the, the repercussions that he's laying out. Mm. Um, I, I guess my question is, why did he let him go so long? Mm. Oh, but then again, why did, does he let us go so long? Uh, yeah, well, I mean, what's the biblical answer? Why, does he, why is his grace so long-suffering? patient, allowing us to suffer through our sins and work through our failures, I think it's an act of His grace. Because God could, like this, anytime He wants, and wipe us all out if He wished. And He would be right in doing so. But His grace and His long-suffering permits us to continue to sin until we are able to see the, the error of our ways and the truth of His ways. Yeah. Exactly. Just speaking about spiritual death, but I yeah. mean, same deal. I mean, so yeah. you know, the fact that he doesn't strike us all dead, but you know, yeah. any time we sin, it's just grace. Yeah. Basically. And part of that grace is, and that's part of what this warning or this judgment is here in Amos chapter 3. I've given you grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And now here's the result of your failure and your rebellion. Cause and effect. Right? So here in verse 7, For the Lord God has done nothing without revealing His secret to His servants, the prophets. Nothing happens unless God reveals it. Nothing happens unless God speaks it. Nothing happens unless God predestines it. Right? The idea of predestination, I think, is also evident here. The course of events of all of His natural order, all the course of events in this world are predetermined by God's divine purpose. That's what predestination means. Right? It's the idea here that all course of events in human history, all course of events in the, the history of the created order are predetermined for God's divine purpose, period. That's it. And if you forget that and you choose to disobey, 
and you choose to go a different direction apart from God's predetermined order of things, what is going to be the natural effect of that? Separation from God. Judgment. That's what's happening here. You see that? And that's, I mean, he's laying out the argument. If I've predetermined the nature of, of all, if I've predetermined the course of all events, and you have gone against this course of events, then the actual outcome will be my judgment. See that? Look here in verse 8. Well, actually, yes, eight, 8 actually speaks to 7. The lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? Yahweh Himself. He never acts without speaking. He explains the truth about Himself and His people at all times. He has roared. All right, let's look here in verse 9. 9 and 10 kind of go together. And 9 and 10 are going to need a little bit of background explanation. Proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. They do not know how to do right, declares the Lord, those who store up violence and robbery in their strongholds. All right, so looking in verse 9, if we remember uh, the, the judgments of chapter 2, um, let's see, where was Ashdod and uh, Philistia? Of course, I don't have my notes from back then, but... Yeah, in verse 8, chapter 1, verse uh, actually verses 6, 7, and 8. Um, when we look at Gaza um, and Ashdod and Ashkelon and Ekron, that was actually talking about Philistia, right? And so proclaim to the strong, in, verse, in chapter 3, verse 9, proclaim to the strongholds in Ashdod. He's talking to the nation of, of Philistia there, the Philistines and to the strongholds in the land of Egypt. Who were the Philistines and the Egyptians to Israel? Enemies. Great enemies. So God is saying in verse 9, Now proclaim to the enemies of, of my people, assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria. And Samaria was the capital of the northern kingdom of Israel. Here's the, here's the background here. Samaria was the capital, and it was located in a mountainous region. Why was it? Located in the mountains. Why would you locate a capital city in the mountains? Easier to defend, easier to protect. Safety, right? And God is saying in verse 9, proclaim to Philistia, the Philistines, and proclaim to Egypt, the enemies, go to the mountains of Samaria. I'm going to hand them over to you. In other words, when you look here in, in verse 9 and say, Assemble yourselves on the mountains of Samaria and see the great tumults within her and the oppressed in her midst. That's a re repetition of what God has said is the problem in the northern kingdom of Israel. You are oppressing the poor and you have great tumult. Now, what is great tumult? Tumult is spiritual corruption. You have great spiritual corruption. You have great societal corruption. Your worship of me is corrupt, and the way you treat the poor in your, in your midst is corrupt. And so therefore, your enemies 
from the Philistines and from Egypt will be given open access to your indestructible city in the mountains. Now, who else could do that? You see that? Again, God predestines all course of events. And so in verses 9 and 10, He is predestining the course of events here. He's predetermining what will happen. The enemies will come to Samaria that has stood protected and defended for all this time. And because of my strength, God says, they will overcome you. You see that? Because, why, why, and why is he doing this? It's because in verse, verse 9 and 10, he reminds them of their fault. Here is what you have done. You have gone against my ways. You are oppressing the poor among you. And you have turned your back on my law. And you've turned your back on my holy worship. Cause and effect. You see the point? You, you oppress the poor that are amongst you that I have commanded you to care for. You, you no longer show compassion like I commanded you to show compassion. And you have corrupted the worship in my holy temple. Cause and effect. You see where we're headed here? Yeah. I know everybody's getting kind of sober here. Either that or your, your dinner this evening is starting to make you sleepy, one of the two. Right. Any thoughts on that? You see what's going on in verse 9 and 10? Because look here in verse 10. Here's why. They, being the northern kingdom of Israel, they do not know how to do right, declares the Lord. That's a pretty bold declaration. My people in Samaria, the northern kingdom, do not know how to do right. You see that? Okay. We don't ever want to get to that point, do we? Do we ever want God to look at us and say, they don't know how to do right? Is he okay? Yeah, make sure he's all right. Okay. Um, you see? That's a pretty bold declaration. They do not know how to do right. They have reached the point that God says, cause and effect. They don't know how to do right, and so the natural outcome will be my wrath and my destruction. Is he okay? He said he's not doing well. He said his stomach's bothering. If he could make it home okay, he said he could. Okay. I've known Chad's had some health problems, so I want to make sure he was doing okay. All right. Either that or he's storming out because I've preached heresy or one of the two. <laughs> What's that? One star, one star, not a five star. Okay, so now we're leading into really verse eleven. Notice how what's happening in this warning here of God is is He's declaring Israel's guilt and He's declaring the punishment for their guilt. He's laid out the argument, introduction, three points of uh, of proof of evidence. Therefore, the conclusion. So the cause, verses 3 through 10, here's, here's all the cause. 
that leads to the effect, the conclusion. Verse 11, therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore in Scripture, or even, even if you're... Okay, Daniel, I would, I would argue that in a legal document, is therefore one of those clue words of a conclusion? Yeah. Y'all remember your English grammar classes, um, composition classes? Therefore, here's the conclusion. What's going to happen? Therefore, verse 11 says, The Lord God, an adversary shall surround the land and bring down your defenses from you, and your strongholds shall be plundered. Right? You, you are oppressing the poor. You're showing no compassion for the needy. You have shown no... No, uh, no, no, worship, no, no value of worship in my house. You've corrupted that. You, you've forfeited my law. Therefore, you have forfeited my protection of you in this fortified mountainous region. Because really what God is declaring here is, yes, Israel, you, you place your capital city in the mountainous region because of the natural terrain. But the whole time it was me who was protecting you here. And verse 11 is basically, God is basically saying, you have forfeited my protection because of all of these things that you are guilty of in the first nine verses of chapter 3. Cause and effect. I will withdraw my protection. And the armies of the Philistines and the armies of Egypt will be allowed to come in and do what they need to do. You hearing that? So think about this in our own life. I mean, if you want, I mean, actually verses 12 through 15, we won't go through those in depth, but if you read verses 12 through 15, it's actually an eloquent picture of Samaria's fall and destruction. <laughs> it's what's going to happen, what's it, what it's, what's it going to look like? Um... Hear and testify against the house of Jacob, declares the Lord, the God of hosts, that on the day I punish Israel for his transgressions, I will punish the altars of Bethel, and the horns of the altar shall be cut off and fall to the ground. I will strike the winter house along with the summer house, and the houses of ivory shall perish, and the great houses shall come to an end. That's what this, his withdrawal of his protective hand looks like. I mean, it's a very sobering warning, but it's also a very enlightening warning. If, if we apply this to our own personal lives, we can apply this to our own nation, correct? If you do these things, social corruption, oppress the poor, okay? I said this a couple of weeks ago. Don't go out of here and say that Pastor Brian's gone woke, okay? I'm not going woke, but there is a biblical truth that the woke agenda has distorted. The biblical truth is this. We are called by God as His people to care for the needy and the oppressed. Yes? yes? And we do not laugh at them and we do not make political jokes about them. We do not uh, just blow it off as a woke ideology. We are called as God's people to care for the poor and the afflicted, the widows and the orphans, the ones who are unjustly treated. If God's people don't do it, who will? And if we ignore that, we can fall into the same warning that God is giving the northern kingdom of Israel here, can't we? That along with the neglect and, the, and the, just ignoring 
and casting aside God's command of how to worship. If we decide to worship any way we want to worship, to glorify ourselves instead of glorifying God, that's the very definition of pagan idol worship. Would you agree? This is why we have so many false, quote-unquote, churches. Because we now worship the self rather than worshiping the Creator who made us and obeying His instructions and His directive in His Word on how He wants to be worshipped. In other words, what God is warning here in Amos chapter 3 is cause and effect. If you are guilty of all of these distortions and corruptions of my word and of my law and of my way, you are no no longer under my protective hand. I must let you suffer and I will allow destruction to come. That's sobering, isn't it? So that, what do you think the, the proper response of God's people should be here? Repentance. Straight away. Straight away. <laughs> right? Repentance is a very clear response to this. Um, a sincere heart. Sincere heart. But that's no guarantee God will relent from withdrawing His protective hand either. That may be the best thing for His people. Now that's a sobering thought for Christians, isn't it? Are we okay with saying, okay, God, you are right in withdrawing your hand from us. We have failed you. If we, I mean, if we are guilty of that, is there ever a time that we may have, I mean, or do we say, well, no, if we repent, God is obligated to forgive us. He will forgive or he will not forgive. He will relent or he will not relent. He will protect or he will not protect. That's not for us to decide. Either way, if we're His people, we submit to His ways. And we submit to His decisions, don't we? Because, I mean, I'm thinking about Moses. Moses was not allowed to go into the promised land, was he? Yeah. You know, you can be saved by grace. Yeah. Um, But still going to go through life's troubles. Yeah. You know, you, being saved doesn't mean everything's rosy. Right. Exactly. And, and I'll get to your point. Uh, and most of the troubles that we suffer are caused by what? Ourselves. Ourselves. And here God is saying cause and effect. You've done this. Here's what you brought upon yourself. I'm withdrawing my protective hand. But at the same time, we've got to remember the history. The northern tribes of Israel to this day still do not exist. The ten tribes, the lost tribes, the ten tribes are gone. And that was God's decision. Yeah, yeah you want to say something? I think, for, well, you clarified, so it's, I was first one, first John 1 9 talks about we ask for forgiveness, if we truly repent, He will forgive us. It doesn't mean that we won't, still won't face consequences Correct. for our, our sins, but He will forgive us. He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. He'll forgive us. Yeah, sins. He will. Yeah, my saying is He's not obligated. That's my point. He promises He will, and He's faithful to His Word. 
But that's his word, not our demand of him, right? Right, he doesn't owe us anything. That's, that's the point. He is faithful to forgive. That's the point of grace. God doesn't owe us anything, yet he gives us forgiveness. That's, that's the very definition of grace. But we do not demand of him that forgiveness, do we? We can't. We can't. Right? But you're right. He is faithful and just to forgive. And that's the hope that we as Christians have, don't we? But even in the Old Testament, even in these minor prophets, we'll see these glimmers of remnants who will repent and God will purposefully protect and set aside as a remnant for that very purpose of repentance and renewal. That will come up as well, won't it? Okay. Any other thoughts? Kiddos, glad y'all came back. How was it tonight? Where's Annika? There she is. I thought they run her off. The kid. <laughs> Amen. Has it been good to be in God's house tonight? I hope. Daniel, did we kind of cover that verse seven and? Chapter eight. I'm sorry. It, yeah. Yeah. Uh, chapter eight, verses eleven through twelve of Amos is also another passage that the Church of Latter-day Saints also cites as a proof text. Okay, In other words, justifying that all that God prophesied in the Bible, all that He spoke in His Word was not complete, leaving room for the secret prophets yet to come. Okay, We'll get to that in chapter 8 as well. Because that's not what the book of Amos says. <laughs> okay, I'll just close with that. Alright, any other words? Any other thoughts? Alright, so has this maybe spoken to some folks tonight? Cause and effect? Follow God's will or don't follow God's will? There's an outcome for both, isn't there? So this is also a point of reformed-minded people in the church. Uh, we are a reformed-minded church, but we also have to remember there's a lot of responsibility in God's Word that is placed upon His people too. We're not just puppets that God pulls the strings. <laughs> He holds us responsible for a lot of choices too, don't we? Amen? Amen. Amen. All right. Let's pray, okay? Dalton, would you pray for us, man? Thank you. Father, thank you for Pastor Brian's word. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Amen.